0: First of all, I always enjoy the cute fest we have when the children's choir uh, sings. My goodness, it is, uh, it's hard to believe any of us were ever that adorable. And, uh, I'm reading from John, who gives us, I think, the deepest theology we have about the incarnation. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Today is love, the fourth Sunday of the Advent season. And I think the definition of love is the mysterious truth of the incarnation. The truth that God became flesh and skin and bone and muscle and nerve synapses and he dwelt among us. He became Emmanuel, God with us, God us. God merging and becoming one with humanity. God became matter. How totally unexpected and shocking and stunning to the Jewish mind. The Jewish mind could never conceive of such a thing. To even look at God was to die. And yet, the writers of the New Testament said, That we have seen God in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am in the Father and the Father in me. We are one. If you have seen me, you have seen God. What an incredible statement. We have, as Jesus said, seen the unseeable God in the face of Jesus. In 1926... And this was uh, Stephen Siemens. I think he's the son of David Siemens, and he he wrote books about missionaries and stuff. And in 1926, he talked about George Harley, who went to Liberia, Hank's home country, and he founded a medical mission among the Mano tribe of Liberia. And I was talking to Hank a little bit about it. There's a lot of fascinating details to that. And while he was there, he, since he was a medical missionary, he, can, he got the people to join with him, and they constructed a medical clinic, and at the same time, they constructed a chapel. Eventually, Harley began to build up patients, and by his fifth year, he was servicing 10,000 patients a year to the Mono tribe. But however, during the first five years, not one mono-tribesman or woman or child visited the chapel for a single service. 10,000 people going to the clinic, zero, and I mean zero people, going to investigate the God that sent them there. Shortly after the doctor and his wife arrived, she gave birth to Robert, their first child. He was the apple of our eye, Harley said. We loved our little boy. But one day when he was almost five years old, not quite five years old, Harley said, I looked out the window of the medical dispensary and I saw Bobby. He was running across the field, but he fell down. Then he got up and ran some more and fell again. But this time he didn't get up. I ran out and picked up the feverish body of my little boy. I held him in my arms and said, Bobby, don't worry. Your daddy knows how to treat this tropical fever. He's going to get you better. Harley tried every treatment he knew, but nothing broke the fever and nothing healed his son. The disease took the boy's life. Of course, the parents, like any of us would have been, were distraught. The missionary went into his workshop, and often, as missionaries had to do 90 years ago, he built his coffin for his son and he placed Robert inside, and he nailed the lid shut. He lifted the coffin on his shoulder and walked toward the clearing to find a place to dig a grave. And one of the old men in the village, one of the mono people, saw him and asked about the box on his shoulder. And when Harley explained that his son had died and what was in the box, the old man offered to help him carry the coffin. And then Harley says this, The old man took one end of the coffin, and I took the other. Eventually, we came to the clearing in the forest. We dug a grave there and laid my five-year-old son in it. But when we had covered up that grave, he said, I broke. I could not stand it any longer. I fell down on my knees in the dirt, and I began to sob uncontrollably. My beloved son was dead And there I was, 8,000 miles away from any home or family. I felt so alone. And he said, but when I started crying, the old man cocked his head in stunned amazement. He squatted down beside me and just stayed there looking at me intently. For a long time, he just sat there listening to me cry and watching the tears stream down my face. And then suddenly he leapt to his feet and went running back up the trail through the jungle, screaming again and again at the top of his voice, The white man! The white man! He cries like us! That evening, as Harley and his wife grieved in their cottage, there was a knock on the door, and Harley opened it. And there stood the chief of the Manoa, of the Mano, rather. And almost every man, woman, and child in the village was there too to show their support and to grieve with the Harleys. The next week, they opened the chapel again for another church service. But that week, for the first time, the Mono people entered that chapel. In fact, it was filled to overflowing because you see, For the first time, they could relate to the missionaries who were there. And they wanted to hear about their God. They wanted to hear about Jesus. Everything changed when the villagers saw the face of that missionary covered with tears. He was like them, he was human like they were human. Up until then, this doctor seemed like he came from another planet. He looked different. He spoke a different language. He used strange medicine, different technology. They could not relate to him. But when they saw him broken, everything changed. That is what the incarnation tells us too. When we saw Jesus and saw him in a cradle and saw him Alive and broken on a cross. Everything changes when we see the face of God. By the way, Jesus came in tears too, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knows the pain of this life, and he came as he had never come before. He did not come as a pillar of cloud, he did not come as a pillar of fire. He did not come with the earth trembling. He did not come in all the other ways he had manifested himself. This time he came as a person. And when he came as a person, John says here in the first chapter, we beheld his glory. And again, it wasn't earth shaking and it wasn't a light show. It wasn't... was the glory of looking into the face of Jesus Christ. We don't worship some philosophical abstraction or some propositions about the truth. The truth, the Bible tells us right here in John, the truth turns out to be a person. We worship the truth embodied in a man called Jesus, the God who became us. He became us primarily for two reasons. The first was to show us who God truly is. Jesus was not the embodiment of God's awesome power. In order to be human, he had to let go of that. That's what Wesley said in the hymn. He emptied himself of all but love. That's what Paul says in Philippians. He emptied himself and became nothing. He was not born with omniscience or all-knowing. Babies know nothing. Have you noticed? Jesus had to learn everything just like us. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to run. He had to learn to be potty trained. He had to learn to talk and read. The living word had to learn the written word just like us. Jesus had to learn to pray. He had to learn to obey his parents. He had to learn to do carpentry. I imagine he whacked his thumb once or twice learning. Jesus had to learn obedience to the Father. And when we see Jesus... Here's the incredible truth of the incarnation. We see God stripped down to his essence. In Jesus, we see God's mind, his heart, his values, his face. We see the face of God in Jesus. We see what God loves and what God hates. We see what moves him and what disturbs him. In Jesus, we see what makes God tick. Or to put it more succinctly, In Jesus, we see the very personality of God, nothing more and nothing less. What do we see? We see a person who loved beauty, whose heart was captivated by the glory of a flower. We see someone who, at heart, was an artist. Do you know that? God is an artist. If you don't believe me, go take a walk through the woods or look through a telescope. We see in Jesus a person who was passionately in love with every person he ever met. And he loved especially those who nobody else loved. He invited children into his lap. Before Jesus came, children were considered disposable commodities. If a child was born the wrong gender, a woman, or deformed or sickly, or simply not wanted, that child was taken to the city dumps in innumerable cities all over the Roman Empire. It was Christians taking their cues from the life of Jesus who went into the city dumps and rescued those abandoned children, adopted them, and treated them as their own. It was Christians who created the first orphanages. Children, because of Jesus, went from being disposable to being miracles. Jesus did that. Why did Christians act like that? Because that's how Jesus told them to act. Jesus cared and fed for the poor, fed the poor. He met human need of every kind. He healed broken bodies. He delivered people from the spirits of the demonic. And he told us we would be judged by how we treat the nobodies of the world. Those in prison. Strangers at our doors, the sick and dying, the naked. He's so identified with the down and out that he said, if we ignore the down and out, we were ignoring him. This is the heart of God revealed. Jesus came to turn the world upside down, to free us from ourselves, from our sin, from our egos. He came so that we could become one with the Father like him. He came to show us the real glory to God of God, to show us what resides in God's heart. And what resides in his heart is pure goodness and pure love and pure mercy. That's the glory of God. The glory of God is not the light show. The glory of God is the heart of God revealed. He showed us how to love, how to redemptively love. And he did come to show us how to live. You know, I know Christians, Bible-believing Christians, who have said to my face, Jesus doesn't expect us to live like Jesus. If I wasn't an Anabaptist, I might. But anyway, Jesus doesn't really expect us to live like him because after all, he was perfect. He was human, but not human like us. By the way, that is heresy. Jesus was human like us. What Jesus taught, they say, is is too hard. He doesn't really expect us to obey all that stuff he taught. He just taught stuff that shows us how much we need grace. He doesn't really expect us to love like he loves, obey like he obeyed, forgive like he forgave, help the ones he helped, love our enemies, risk our lives for the king. Jesus doesn't really expect that. He just came to save us, not show us how to live. Brothers and sisters, there is no truth more deadly than a half-truth. And it is true we will never obey perfectly what Jesus taught. And it is true that God's standards, if we truly understand his standards, will drive us to our knees and into the arms of grace. It will make us say, Jesus, I can't be perfect, save me. And it is true we will never be perfect like Jesus was perfect. But please hear this. Jesus Christ was fully human. He depended on the same power we depend upon to follow God. He was empowered by the Spirit, the same Spirit we're empowered with. He needed to pray just like we needed to pray. He was tempted like we're tempted. And he had to use the same resources that are available to us. Jesus needed to learn the Word of God. The Word of God needed to learn the Word of God. Jesus felt pain like all of us. He grew tired like all of us. I love the fact that Jesus took naps. In fact, it scared his disciples One, there's a storm going on. Jesus is in the boat taking a nap. I find as I get older, I get more like Jesus. <laughs> Rejection hurt him like it hurts us. One day he preached and he emptied the house. And he looked at his disciples and said, you're going to leave me too. Jesus was human. And he came to show us how real human beings can live with the Spirit's help and with God's Word in their heart. Not perfectly, but essentially. We can be changed. We can be different. We can be like Jesus. Will we be perfect? No. But can we still be like Jesus? Yes. Far too, you know, Jesus really does expect us to do what he taught. He really does expect us to model our lives after him. Didn't he say, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, will live life like I've been living it? Far too many Christians look at Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection as the cause of their salvation, but not as a way to live. We can't let ourselves off the hook by saying Jesus was divine and we're not. Of course, Jesus forgave, but we're not Jesus. Therefore, I don't have to love my enemies. But Jesus' humanness, brothers and sisters, His humanness was not a disguise. He lived in the real world. His enemies harassed Him, arrested Him, tortured Him, and killed Him. And He forgave them even as they were murdering Him. And He asks us to do the same. His words and values can't be dismissed as some heavenly ideal. They were given by a human being on this earth, modeled by a human being living on this earth, and expected to be obeyed by human beings living on this earth. William Willimon was a great writer, Methodist bishop. One day, he got a, he, while he was bishop of the Alabama conference, he got a call from a, an incensed parishioner and he said, do you know what one of your preachers did? He said, no. He said, during the prayer, he prayed for the salvation of Osama bin Laden. And so William Willimon called up his pastor that was under him, and he said, why would you pray for such a vile person as Osama bin Laden? And he said, Bishop, I actually believe that the Jesus who said, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you, was the Son of God. I believe he meant this stuff. I believe we're supposed to obey it. Jesus expects us to obey his teachings. He played under, he obeyed the Father and he had the same, had to live under the same rules we did. Didn't he say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Even the hard ones? You know, I I don't get this feeling that Jesus came to earth to bring a list of suggestions. I really don't. I don't think Jesus came here and said, I'm going to give you some profound truth, but it's optional. Jesus came here, and here's what he said in essence. He said, the way I'm obeying the Father, I expect you to obey me. He expects us to obey him in real life and real time. And it will take God's power for us to do it too, just like it did for him. Jesus not only expects us to believe in him, but to live like him. And if we do, we will love like him. Because you see, and as a matter of fact, he said, I don't only expect you to do what I'm going to do. I expect, as a group, you will surpass what I have done. You will do greater works than me. There's an army of us, and we'll do even more. We in mass will do greater things. The kingdom will come as heaven invades the world in real time, in natural places, with real people. Because you see, Jesus incarnated God when he came to this world. And the gospel is worthless unless we incarnate it too. Unless we are filled with the spirit of Jesus and we bring Jesus into this world the same way he brought the Father into the world. When he was here, what did he say? He said, I am the light of the world. Now what does he say? You are the light of the world. Reflect, get busy. When he was here, he was the embodiment of the love of God. Now we're called to love like God. When Jesus walked this earth, he showed people the heart of God. Now we're called to show people the heart of God. And when we do, and when we do, It changes things. One of my favorite, I haven't used this illustration probably in 15 or 20 years, but it was from Tony Campala, one who switched the price tags. And Tony Campala told the story about a school teacher named Miss Thompson. Miss Thompson was a fifth grade teacher. And she was competent, she was good, she was a Christian fifth grade teacher. She was good at what she did. But there's always this one kid... You know, the kid that drives you crazy? Maybe you were that kid. Anyway, he was terrible at school. He didn't get it. And his attitude was even worse. He was so difficult that Miss Thompson hated seeing him walk through the door. And she disliked him when she was really honest. When she gave him an F, she liked putting it down. F. Then Christmas came, and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her gifts, you know, like on a Christmas story. They brought gifts, and and Teddy brought her. His name was Teddy Stollard. This was the kid's name. And he brought her a crudely wrapped present, a brown crushed paper sack with a frayed ribbon around it. That was his wrapping. And when Miss Thompson opened it, she discovered a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a half-bottle full of, half-full of perfume. I'm sure it wasn't the expensive. guy. you know, when I was a kid, I bought my, you know, you, you can usually tell how good a perfume is by how big the bottle is. I remember when I was a kid, I bought my mother a quart of perfume. And, uh, It must have been really good because after a week, I never saw it or smelled it again. (laughs) I know she appreciated it tremendously. I have a feeling this is what Teddy brought to Miss Thompson. And when he gave her these stones in front of the, uh, the, the bracelet and the perfume, the children began to smirk and giggle at such ridiculous gifts. Who gives somebody a bracelet with half the stones missing? But something happened in that room, something remarkable. The spirit of Jesus incarnated Miss Thompson. And the spirit of love began bubbling up in her. And suddenly, she did something that she probably would have never dreamed of doing before that day. She took the bracelet of Teddy and she put it on in front of the class And then she took the perfume and she dabbed it on her wrist. And then she stood in front of the class and said, Class, isn't this bracelet beautiful? Look at it. And then she invited the class to come forward. And and, and she held out her wrist and she said, Doesn't this perfume smell lovely? And taking their cue from her, the children responded with oohs and ahs. Teddy went from being embarrassed about his gifts to they were featured as the best gifts given that Christmas. At the end of school, Teddy came to Miss Thompson's desk and he said, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother used to smell. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you, too. I'm glad you liked my presents. And as they talked, Ms. Thompson learned that Teddy's mother had died when he was in the second grade three years earlier. And when, his di- when she died, his father, consumed with grief, soon became consumed with alcohol. And Teddy was essentially alone in the world. Ms. Thompson's heart was broken for this broken child. But that day, she saw Teddy in a new light. For the first time... Since she had him, she saw Teddy through the eyes of Jesus. She saw Teddy through the eyes of love. And when Teddy left, Miss Thompson said a prayer. And she asked God to forgive her for the attitude she had held toward Teddy. And after that day, both Teddy and Miss Thompson began to change. Teddy became a new student and Miss Thompson became a different teacher. And Teddy's grades, his attitude changed immediately, but his grades began to get better. And you know what? Teddy discovered he was smart. And he went to the top of the class. And when he left the fifth grade, he went to junior high. And he excelled in junior high. And then he went to high school. And he excelled in high school. And he went, unlike anybody else in his family, he went, he went to college. And he excelled in college. And he did so well, he went to med school and became a doctor. And through all of this, Miss Thompson stayed in touch with him, praying for him, encouraging him. The kid who wouldn't and couldn't did. Some years later, Ms. Thompson received a letter from Teddy asking if she would come to his wedding and sit in his mother's place of honor. And she said, you... He said, you are all the family I have left now. His father was gone. His mother was gone. But Miss Thompson became his family. This is the light overcoming the darkness in our world. This is the love of God incarnated in a human being. Miss Thompson. This is... God's grace reflected into a a dark world that needs it desperately. And guess what? It changed Teddy forever. And it changed Miss Thompson forever. You see, I love the fact that what the incarnation really tells us is there is no place, no situation in your life where God is not willing to come and God is not loving. He, he's there loving and He's there caring and He's active. That's what the incarnation tells us. Because if Jesus showed up in Bethlehem, I got good news. He'll show up in Harrisburg. Jesus was, had a job, a day job as a carpenter in Nazareth. Guess what? He'll show up at your lousy job too. If Jesus showed up in a barn, then I'm willing to bet he'll show up in your living room. And sometimes even the bathroom, which I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about, but he has showed up. If Jesus showed up in the womb of Mary, then he'll show up in every human heart that wants him. And if Jesus showed up on a cross, then I promise you he'll show up in the middle of your pain again and again and again. If he's already come that far for you, do you think he's going to stop now? Christmas is about God showing up to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. To to nobodies, to shepherds, half asleep in the middle of the night. To a young teenage girl engaged to be married, suddenly caught in the middle of something she wouldn't have dreamed of in a billion years. He showed up to tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers. He showed up. And nothing has been the same ever since he did. The incarnation says God came. And here's the really good news. He's still coming. He has decided to be here for us. He has decided to be here with us. He has decided to be here in us. Hallelujah. And if God became incarnate, in a backwoods place called Bethlehem, then you can expect His incursions into this world anytime, anywhere, any place. Incursions of love and grace and healing and justice. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And He is in this room right now pouring His love out all over us right now. That is what the incarnation means its implications are staggering if you think about it and that's what we're going to celebrate today in the communion is just how far jesus incarnated himself not only becoming an embryo and a fetus and a child and a man but subjecting him but becoming sin and brokenness and the human condition in order to save us from it And that's what we celebrate the broken body of Jesus, the spilled blood of Jesus. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak, not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Anybody here who stands in constant need of heaven's mercy and help? Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Today we partake of communion in our seats. We ask you to hold the elements till we all can partake together. You do not have to be a member of this church or the Brethren in Christ to partake. We just ask that you love, love the Lord that this, and the sacrifice this symbolizes. And if you are allergic to gluten, there will be little plastic packets in what is passed out that is gluten-free. Night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave to his disciples. We follow his example. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, when we think of what you did in pursuing us, when we think of what it cost you to be us, in order to lift us, when we think of your broken body, all we can think about is is gratitude. Bless us as we worship you and as we remember you and how you penetrated this world. Amen. responsive reading brothers and sisters this bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ take and eat this bread remembering that he was born to be our Savior he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities feed on him in your heart and be thankful When Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to his disciples. We will do likewise. Pastor Hank will lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this cup, the reminder of your love, freely, willingly, and lovingly given for us. Pray now that as we take this cup that we be reminded the blood that flowed in Calvary matters most, matters even more than the blood that flows through our veins. So, Lord, we thank you for this cup, and thank you for the continued blessing of you coming and always coming. In your name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters this cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ take this cup remembering that he said this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins drink of it together and be thankful you to stand please if you need prayer we're going to end the service now but if you need prayer you can come to the front and there will be someone here to pray with you for you but we're going to have a benediction and dismiss you now and uh we don't see you christmas eve or christmas day merry christmas christ has come emmanuel let us pray lord jesus for the incomparable gift we give you praise for the gift of yourself come into this world broken for this world so that we might be healed you became sin so that we might become saved for doing for us for what we could not do for ourselves and it started so humbly Lord so quietly In a town called Bethlehem that nobody paid attention to except you. For all of this, we thank you and may we incarnate what you brought to us and still bring to us and share it. Help us shine in the darkness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go in peace.